Good morning, everybody. It's, uh, it's good to see you all this morning. Um, good to see some new faces. Uh, welcome. Glad you're here. My name is Tyler Cash. I have the, the joy and privilege to uh, serve as one of the pastors of this body of believers who gather under the name Christ Covenant Fellowship. And uh, as Pastor Brandon reminded us earlier, everything we do is worship. Everything we do from the gathering, encouraging one another, uh, taking time out of our schedule to say that uh, this is important, that today is the Lord's day, and so we will take time to, to worship Him and to gather with our brothers and sisters. Uh, the songs we sing uh, encourage one another. Uh, we give praise to our, our Lord through the gift of song. And now through the preaching of the word, we, we ask God, right, to, to speak to us individually, corporately, and to help us to, to grow into the likeness of our Savior. Um, so let's turn to Amos chapter 6. We've been studying Amos for the past couple of months I mean, chapter 6 today, Amos is in the Old Testament. It's one of the minor prophets. If you're new to the Bible, uh, don't be afraid to check your table of contents, to ask your neighbor, uh, to yell out, help. Uh, it's all right, too. Amos chapter 6. It's 14 verses here. We're going to read through. I'm going to read through all 14 I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask God to help us. Uh, and I'd ask you to pray for me, pray for the Lord to work in your life as well. But Amos chapter 6, verses 1 through 14. I'm reading from the ESV. We have a couple of copies in the back if you need one. Uh, Verse 1 reads this, Woe to those who are at ease in Zion, and to those who feel secure on the mountain of Samaria, the notable men of the first of the nations to whom the house of Israel comes. Pass over to Kalneh and see, and go there. Go to Hamath the Great. Then go down to Gath of the Philistines. Are you better than these kingdoms? Or is their territory greater than your territory? O you who put far away the day of disaster and bring near the seat of violence. Woe to those who lie on beds of ivory and stretch themselves out on their couches and eat lambs from the flock and calves from the midst of the stall. Who sing idle songs to the sound of the harp and like David invent for themselves instruments of music who drink wine in bowls and anoint themselves with the finest oils, but are not grieved over the ruin of Joseph. Therefore, they shall now be the first of those who go into exile, and the revelry of those who stretch themselves out shall pass away. Verse 8, the Lord God has sworn by himself, declares the Lord, the God of hosts, I abhor the pride of Jacob, and hate his strongholds. And I will deliver up the city and all that is in it. And if ten men remain in one house, they shall die. 
And when one's relative, the one who anoints him for burial, shall take him up to bring the bones out of the house and shall say to him who is in the innermost part of the house, is there still anyone with you? He shall say no. And he shall say silence. We must not mention the name of the Lord. For behold, the Lord God commands and the great house shall be struck down into fragments and the little house into bits. Do horses run on rocks? Does one plow there with oxen? But you have turned justice into poison and the fruit of righteousness into wormwood. You who rejoice in low Debar, who say, have we not by our own strength captured Carnaum for ourselves? For behold, I will raise up against you a nation, O house of Israel, declares the Lord, the God of hosts. And they shall oppress you from Labo Hamath to the brook of the Arabah. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that we, we look here for guidance. And that these are not empty words on a page, but they're the written words of you. So, Father, we ask for your Spirit's help to move in this place. We ask, God, that you would transform hearts, that you would renew us, that you would help us to leave here different than we walked in. That this text, that this sermon would bring encouragement to the weary. It would humble the sinner. And it would bring us all to a better understanding of who you are. So, Father, I need your help. We need your help, and so we ask what we know not would you teach us, and what we are not would you make us, and what we have not would you give us by your grace, for your glory, in Christ's name, and God's people said, amen. So this is the second woe passage in this prophecy. Uh, Last week, in my absence, Pastor Brandon preached a powerful sermon on the first woe passage that is found in Amos 5.18, where Amos says, Woe to you who long for the day of the Lord. These woes, they introduce an announcement of doom on those who are violating God's law. Those who are living in rebellion to what God has called them to do. Those who are living with no regard to the way that God has instructed them to live. As we've walked through this prophecy, we've seen God's specific concern with his people. I'll say this again. God is most concerned with the purity of his church. He's most concerned with the holiness of his people. Uh, Too often we look outside to the world and we say, well, look at what they're doing and we excuse our own sin. But we must take inventory of ourselves first. God was in a covenantal relationship with the Israelites. Remember, he had protected them. He had provided for them. He had preserved them, demonstrating his unfaltering covenantal love. But Israel was rebellious. They had insisted on their own way, much like we do ourselves. Look, whether you like to admit it or you want to even be confronted with this truth, 
each and every one of us have a natural inclination. We, we naturally default to self-satisfaction and comfort. I mean, it's, a, it's just natural from birth. Uh, the moment a baby is born, he or she naturally, they, they cry when they want something. They, they cry when they want food. They cry when they want to be changed. They cry when they uh, are, are cold or maybe they're too hot. They want to be comforted. Right? Parents will say, hey, we've got to, got to comfort our child. And it's a good thing. Comfort your child. But babies will shamelessly scream until they get what they want. We never outgrow this desire. Now, we may mature in our ways. We may grow in our ways of expressing ourselves, but the natural drift towards comfort is present and pervasive in each and every one of us until the day we die. We want what we want. See, the reason is that God created us for comfort. He did, but God created us for eternal comfort in Him. He, he created us for uh, eternal comfort in a relationship with Him, the Creator. We will only be truly satisfied when we find our satisfaction in God Himself. See, we, we fail, right? We, we seek to re- replace comfort in God with the comfort of worldly things. We, we elevate the comforts in this world sinfully. Uh, we live in idolatry at times. That's why we take time to confess corporately. That's why we take time to be confronted and take to, uh, uh, an inventory of our own lives and to ask God to reveal to us the ways that we have elevated things in this world to an improper place. Today, what we do is we get to see the Israelites' folly as they misplaced comfort in lesser things, which led to complacency in them. We get to look back. Praise God for that. We get to look back on, on, on God's people in this time in history. Don't think of the Old Testament as irrelevant and uh, it's outdated, but think of it as a blessing. To look and to see what happened here so that we can, by God's grace, repent of our own ways and not commit the same thing. The title of this message is, A Warning to the Comfortable and Complacent. A Warning to the Comfortable and Complacent. And chapter 6 is broken down into kind of two sections here, okay? First, we're going to see in verses 1 through 7, Amos identifies two areas that the Israelites have kind of misplaced their sense of comfort. He, he identifies these two different places and areas of, of their lives that they have misplaced their comfort. They've really, ultimately, they've made these things an idol. It's led to idolatry. It's ultimately led to complacency and what they're doing. Then in verses 8 through 14, we're going to see God's response to their folly. 
We're going to see God's response. And, and when we see God's response, it's important to take notice of the characteristics of God. You know, anytime we, we read Scripture, anytime you see God responding to something, it's important to write down, to think through, okay, what, what are the characteristics of God? What do I learn about God here? So that's what we will do. As the 17th century monk, Brother Lawrence, once said, I quote, The more we know him, the more we will desire to know him. As love increases with knowledge, the more we know God, the more we will truly love him. We will learn to love him equally in times of distress and in times of great joy, end quote. It's my prayer for us today that as we see characteristics of God, we, we grow to learn and to love him even more. Let's look at verses 1 through 3 under the heading, Misplaced Comfort in Power. This is misplaced comfort in power. Woe to those who are at ease in Zion and to those who feel secure on the mountains of Samaria, the notable men of the first of the nations to whom the house of the Israel comes. He says, pass over to Calne and see and, and go there, go to Hamath the great, then go to Gath of the Philistines. He asks this question, right? Are you better than these kingdoms or is their territory greater than your territory? O you who put far away the day of disaster and bring near the seat of violence. So here what is happening is Amos is talking to both the, the northern and southern kingdoms. Okay, and we see these kind of two phrases that used to describe the people of Israel here. First thing we see is that they are at ease in Zion. Now Zion is another name for Judah's capital city, Jerusalem. And so Amos here is directing this first indictment toward the southern kingdom of Judah. This phrase, they are at ease, conveys a sense of careless comfort. They are overly relaxed. Their self-confidence has reached a dangerous level. They feel as if they have nothing to fear and they are at ease with everything they are doing careless this indictment moves then to the northern kingdom of israel as amos points out that they feel secure on the mountain of samaria so uh, israel had built their capital on the top of a mountain um, that's a smart plan right nothing wrong with that at all because what? It increasingly or it significantly increased their fortification and security. Right? They're, they're up high. They can see if the enemy is approaching. Uh, they have a really good vantage point there. And uh, they can prepare their defense before the enemy gets close. The problem wasn't necessarily the placement in their city. It wasn't necessarily that they uh, had exercised prudence in their decision making. I think we can always see that Scripture never uh, calls us to uh, a careless and reckless abandonment of anything that's sensible. Uh, the Proverbs remind us, right, desire without knowledge is not good. So, so don't desire without taking knowledge into consideration. 
And then he goes on and the writer says, and whoever makes haste with his feet misses his way. Uh, Essentially saying, uh, if you just go after things without thinking through them, it's probably a bad thing to do. You're probably going to lead to uh, some unwanted circumstances. So it isn't their intentionality and their placement that is wrong. It's the fact that they feel at ease and secure because of their achievements. It's what they have done. It's a look at us. Look at what we've done. Man, we're so smart. We're so great. And he calls out here the noble men. The elites. The the leaders of the time. Uh, The fact that Amos singles them out indicates that the men who had gained power were abusing their power. We know from the rest of the prophecy that they were using their authority and rank for, for personal gain. They were oppressing those around them. Listen, brothers and sisters, this is a great opportunity for us to pause and to do some self-examination and ask ourselves, what are we doing with the authority that God has given us? What are you doing with the authority that God has given you? Do you use your authority for your glory or for His glory? Are, Are you concerned with the kingdom of God or the kingdom of self? Is your aim to serve others and what God has given you? Or is your your aim to self-serve and to, to gain whatever you can gain? And listen, any of us can ask this question. Don't, don't just think you have to have this uh, title around or before your name. Any of us can ask this, right? A husband, a father, a wife, a mother, an employer, a manager, a brother, a sister, an RA, a CGL, a neighbor, a friend. You have influence. You have some sense of influence no matter where you are. We must regularly take inventory and ask God to reveal areas where an unhealthy demonstration of power may lie. Look, power isn't a bad thing, okay? There are all sorts of power uh, structures that are beneficial for human flourishing. Uh, We need these things, and in so much as those power structures acknowledge God has the ultimate authority and submit to Him first and foremost, Power is a blessing to others. Look, a a civilization without any type of authority figure, without any type of uh, um, structure, is destined for destruction. Okay, we we need systems. We we need authority. We need roles. Uh, From the beginning, uh, God gave Adam and Eve distinct roles. Uh, He gave them authority. 
Uh, he gave them dominion over creation. If you go back to the creation narrative, he says, I, I created you and now you'll have dominion, which this means power. You, you'll have power, you'll have authority over creation. But what happens? Three letters, sin. Sin enters the world. Sin messes things up. Adam and Eve, they, they blew it. They abused their authority and the Israelites abused their authority. And we can turn on the news and we can see today in our day and age the abuse of authority. Very easy to see. But brothers and sisters, those who call themselves Christians, let me challenge you that you are called to exercise power and authority in a different way. We're called to leverage positions of power for the benefit of others. Now, this is what Jesus Christ demonstrated as he laid down his own life on behalf of those whom he loved. Now, this is what Paul exhorts the church in Philippi in Philippians 2, 5 through 8. You might be familiar with this verse. Let me read it, these verses. Let me read this for us. He says, have this mind among yourselves. So he's saying, this is what you should do. Have this mind, brother and sister. Which is yours in Christ Jesus? So if you're in Christ Jesus, you should do this. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself. By taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Most excruciating form of death ever imaginable. This is what Jesus Christ does. Paul says Jesus is God. But he put the benefits of his Godhead aside for a time to die on the cross on our behalf. We know that death was an eternal reward. Paul says, have this type of mind. The mind of humility, not the mind of self-gratification by exercising unbridled power. Well, take advantage of what you've been given. See, the Israelites, they, they found their comfort. They found comfort here in their power. They became prideful in their accomplishment. They thought they were untouchable. They were strong. They were mighty. Look at us. And God says, I will not tolerate this type of arrogant rebellion this is not for my people i've called them to more he then draws these three cities right to their attention to their memory they would have been very familiar with these cities as kind of a reminder here and and he asked a rhetorical question he says are you better than these kingdoms like like do you think you're better than them Look at the, the greatness of them, the, the might of them, the strength of them, and you think you're greater than 
them? He says, is your territory greater than theirs? He's basically saying, look, destruction happened to them and it can happen to you. Don't think you are out of reach. The only thing you're out of reach of is reality. He says, this can happen to you for certain. And look, brothers and sisters, don't we all get in situations where we think, right? Like, oh, well, you know, that, that'll never happen to me. Like, I, you know, I'll just, I'll just watch that one more time and, you know, my, my wife will never find out. You know, I'll just use my money in this way or the other and, you know, it, it'll be okay. We walk down this path that ultimately leads to destruction. We treat others in ways that are dishonorable. We abuse our power, our authority. We count others as insignificant to our lives. So we discount their thoughts, their well-being. And it ultimately leads to destruction. Brothers and sisters, let me exhort us to be cautious when we are given positions of power, never letting power become our sense of comfort. Verses 4 through 7, we see the Israelites misplaced comfort in self-indulgence. They found a misplaced comfort in self-indulgence here. We read, Woe to those who lie on beds of ivory and stretch themselves out on their couches and eat lambs from the flock and calves from the midst of the stall, who sing idle songs to the sound of the harp and like David invent for themselves instruments of music, who drink wine in bowls and anoint themselves with the finest oils, but are not grieved over the ruin of Joseph. Therefore, they shall now be the first of those who go into exile. And the revelry of those who stretch themselves out shall pass away. And here, the prophet calls the Israelites out for the extravagant lifestyle of self-indulgence. See, instead of mourning their sin and mourning what they've done and repenting and turning back to God, the Israelites just continue to enjoy this lavish life of luxury. It's all about them. Amos gives seven specifics here. I want to walk through these real quick and just kind of uh, give some clarity of what they mean. Uh, he says they lie on beds of ivory. Uh, ivory throughout the Old Testament is, and even today, right, is, is a symbol of luxury and wealth. So it says they're, they're lying on beds of ivory. They have a lot of it. It says then that they stretch themselves out on their couches. We can kind of get a, a, a picture here. This illustration is pretty clear. They're, it represents laziness. They, they stretch themselves out and they just are careless. They're passive and uh, they, they always are up for relaxing. 
never concerned the world around them. It says they eat lambs and calves from the flock. This would signify that they enjoy the, the best food with no regard to others' needs, right? They're, they're taking the best of the best every single time. They're not thinking about the economy. They're not thinking about what's going on around them. They say, no, we want the best. We're going we're gonna to feast continuously. Usually, the, the calves and the lamb would be brought out for special occasions, for feasts, for a celebration. The prophet says, no, you guys are eating him all the time. You're living lavish. Sing idle songs to the sound of the harp. It further expresses their laziness and squandering of their time. These idle songs, right? Invent m- instruments of music like David for themselves. Now, now this, this kind of uh, ironic comparison with David in their expression of music really contrasts what and how David used his songs. We've sang two of them today. And then how they're using their songs. He says, like, like David wrote songs and sang songs for God's glory, for worship. You, on the other hand, not so much. These songs that you're singing are, are worthless. It says they drink wine in bowls. You know, I just kind of picture this like people just, you know, these big bowls just like downing wine, right? And getting all over them. They're just sloppy and they're just, ah, yeah, drink and be merry. They're excessive. They're drunkards. Amos calls them out. The Lord essentially calls them out. They anoint themselves with the finest oils. Uh, Finally, we see that they're extravagantly using the most expensive perfumes. Perfume in those times and oils were, were very valuable. Very valuable sense of currency. And uh, they would use them to anoint others, to kind of bless others. But what does he say here? He says, you're using them for yourself. You're, you're continually just, you're, yeah, I'm, I'm great. I'm, anoint me. As they drink their wine. Bowls. They lay around. They eat the best. They just enjoy the finer things in life. They could care less about how they've treated others. They've found comfort here. Altogether, you take this list and you see the extreme hedonistic self-indulgence that was taking place. You see the people had no regard for others were only concerned for themselves amos says right you you do these things he lays out this list and then he says but but you are not grieved over the ruin of joseph you do these but you don't care about this the thing that you should be concerned about 
Essentially, he's just saying, right, you, you don't care about the well-being of your fellow countrymen, those in your community. You care less about them. We must pause here. We must consider our own lives and ask, am I living in a way that demonstrates self-indulgence? Is it always about me and what I can get? Or am I living in a way that considers those around me? Especially those in need. Especially those that the Lord brings within our midst. Do we take this as the sovereignty of the Lord to say, okay, should I help? And if so, how can I help? And help comes in a lot of different ways. I'm talking about handouts and different things. I'm talking about true community, concern for others. I'm not saying it's wrong to have nice things. But it's wrong, it is wrong to have nice things if you let those nice things control you. And if you put all your comfort in things. Right, uh, toddlers, they, they, they tend to fight over things a lot. They, they like things. They, well, it's mine. No, it's mine. No, mine. All the parents with older children are like, thank God my kids are out of that stage. But they let them control them. I mean, are you the person that, you know, always scrolling for the newest gadgets, for the newest stuff, or you always, when you, you, you see the latest thing, you, you, you have to have it. The elite here, those that are living in this way, Amos says you, you're going to be the first ones that will go into exile because of this. On, a, on account of what has just been said, because you've, you've done this, you haven't cared for them, now, the, the judgment that is coming, guess what? You're going to be first. They will lead the way. And, and why? Well, the, the same principle that Jesus speaks about in the parable of the servant in Luke 24. Uh, you're probably familiar with that. Uh, it's applied here. Let me, let me just read this uh, verse, what, what Jesus says in Luke 24, he says, Everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, the demand the more. So, as God's people, uh, this is applicable to all of us, right? We have been given abundantly more than we could ever imagine or ask for or deserve. I've said this before, right? But listen, even if God never does anything else for you tangibly in this life, I mean, if, like, if you just uh, were diagnosed with the worst illness and the rest of your days on this earth were terrible, and you had eternal life. Brother and sister, He has done enough. He has done more than you could ever deserve. 
more than you could ever imagine. He is uh, so good in so many ways. And so no matter what, right, that, that, that God would send His Son to absorb the wrath that you and I deserve. The death that we should have had. And now are offered eternal life to enjoy the comfort of God. That's the reward of heaven. God. Forever. Perfection. Creation as it was intended. Brand new. New heaven. New earth. Let's go. That is the joy that we get as brothers and sisters of Christ. So each and every one of us who call ourselves Christians, we better take heed to the example of the Israelites and the words of Jesus and remember that, listen, we have been given much. So guess what? Much is expected. Much is required from us as we engage with the world around us, as we navigate this still fallen world, hey, it's tough. If anyone tells you that once you say the prayer, once you're saved, that you know, life gets perfect, they're lying. It's tough. That's why the prosperity gospel is, a, is just it's so ridiculous. Because anyone with half a brain can see that life is tough. But we get to live together in community. We get to enjoy the eternal hope that we have in Christ. We, we get to say, hey, this isn't it. <laughs> this is not it. And we owe it all to Jesus. Amen? We're called to live different. So listen, here's, here's what that looks like, right? It means that our activities should be different. It means that our interactions should be different. It means that our, our, our bank statements may look different. It means everything that we do should set us apart. It's what being sanctified, to be set apart. It's positional sanctification. Now we grow in continual sanctification, but we've been set apart. If you call yourself a Christian, that's for you. We're called to live like that. R.C. Sproul is helpful here. He once wrote, we do not segment our lives giving some time to God some to our business or schooling while keeping parts to ourselves the idea is to live all of our lives in the presence of God under the authority of God and for the honor and glory of God that is what the Christian life is all about end quote Move on here to verses 8 through 14. And now that we've seen the, 
the folly of the Israelites, we're going to see here God's response. In in verse 8, we see two things that God hates. It says, the Lord God has sworn by himself, declares the Lord, the God of hosts. I abhor the pride of Jacob. I hate his strongholds. And I will deliver up the city and all that is in it. So first we take notice here that the Lord has has sworn to himself again. Uh, This is one of three times this happens in Amos. And again, what this does is it signifies that the Lord is the ultimate authority. He, he has no one higher to swear to, to, to make a, a commitment to, to make an oath to. Oaths during this time were very serious. So if you made an oath to someone, you, you better keep it. God here is showing his, his sovereignty, his omnipotence, his power, his authority saying that there is none that is greater than He. Uh, We see that the Lord abhors and hates the militaristic pride of Israel. Uh, His strongholds indicates the nation's confidence is not in the God of hosts, but rather uh, they're in their personal defensive position. Uh, This double statement of the Lord's hatred of Israel's arrogance stresses the intensity of His judgment. He promises to destroy their pride by delivering up everything in the city. Everything. Total devastation. And then he goes on in verses 9 and 10. He says, And if ten men remain in one house, they shall die. And when one's relative, the one who anoints him for burial, shall take him up to bring the bones out of the house, and shall say to him who is in the innermost parts of the house, Is there still anyone with you? He shall say, No. And he shall say, Silence. We must not mention the name of the Lord. Now, this is likely a symbolic illustration that speaks of the future destruction that is inevitable after the invasion the Lord will send. Uh, here, Amos is describing the scene where, where family members uh, will, they're gathering bones of their deceased family members. Uh, they're preparing them for burial here. Then we see someone that kind of comes along, right? And looking at the scene, and they're asking this simple question to the person gathering the bones. And the person gathering bones, they're so shook up of the devastation that has taken place, they say, silence! Like, don't even mention the name of the Lord. This is the type of reverence, the devastation and the wrath of God demands for those that are unrepentant. This is how we should take into consideration when considering the wrath of God. I said this a few weeks back, but too often we try to soften the blow, right? We, we try to weaken the intensity the wrath of God of all those that, that stand under just condemnation. 
And brothers and sisters, we're doing nobody a favor when we coddle sin. When we, we try to uh, eliminate the wrath of God. We, we must take in consideration the wholeness of God. Or else we do not preach and speak of the God of the Bible. He is perfectly judge and perfect justifier. He is perfectly love while being perfectly wrathful. And we must get this right. And here we see this illustration. And then we see that because of Israel's sin, the devastation here is going to come in totality. He says in verse 11, For behold, the Lord commands, and the great house shall be struck down into fragments, and the little house into bits. So essentially what he's saying is that the great or the big house will be destroyed along with the small house. Like, like, like both will be destroyed. And here we see once again, God shows no partiality. God shows no partiality in His judgment. He's not uh, passing over anyone because of their prosperity or passing over anyone because of their lack of prosperity. It is to both. Our God distributes justice with equity, equality in His distribution of justice. Everyone is held to the same standard. Wrong is wrong and right is right no matter who it is that's doing it. It's an important reminder for us in our day and time. And then in verse 12, we see these two hypothetical questions that lead to an indictment of the Israelites. He says in verse 12, right, do horses run on rocks? He goes on, does one plow there with oxen? Basically saying, like, do, do you take your, your, your horse out to go run on rocks? Or, or do you take your oxen to rocks to plow there for food? And the clear answer is no. Uh, for us today, we kind of like saying, like, do you drive your car in the ocean? You know, uh, or, or do you uh, store your food on a, a roof? A roof, however you want to say it. Like, no, I don't do those things. Of, of course I don't do those things. That would be ridiculous. And, and God says, but you have turned justice into poison and the fruit of righteousness into wormwood. So he, he says, hey, you wouldn't do that, but you do this. You wouldn't do these things that uh, have some significance, but you do these things that have eternal significance? He says you've perverted justice. You've turned righteousness into damaging material. 
He says, you, you've turned something that was meant for good into something that is dangerous. And brothers and sisters, we must continually ask God to reveal areas in our own lives where good things have become sinful things. The, the, the devil, it's not always necessarily that we do these blatant sins. Sometimes it's the, the, the good things that we do that keep us from time with God. It, it's the good things, right? Maybe your, your time, you, you're just so spread thin, you, you, you have no energy or time, effort to, to give to the Lord, to the things of the Lord. Because maybe even you're, you're, you're doing great things for others. We must take inventory. And, and here he says that they have specifically turned justice into poison. They've turned this righteousness that, that, that God had called them to into wormwood. Something that was destructive. Then he goes on in verse 13. He says, you who rejoice in low debar, who say, have we not by our own strength captured Carnaum for ourselves? Here again, he returns to the issue of the pride Israel took in its military strength. It says what? They, they rejoice in having captured low debar, which were cities conquered by Jeroboam. They were rejoicing. They're saying, look what we have done. And clearly, if you go back, if you read 2 Kings, it was the Lord who conquered them. It was the Lord who helped them to gain these things. But therefore, their comfort, their comfort in their own strength is misplaced. They found comfort in their achievements, their power, their authority, and what they have done. And then God says, I'm going to raise up another nation to come in and destroy you, to, to wipe you out. Look at verse 14 here as we close. It says, For behold, I will raise up. Against you a nation, O house of Israel, declares the Lord, the God of hosts. And they shall oppress you from Labo Hamath to the brook of the Arabah. Look at the power of the Lord here. He says, I will raise up this nation. I will do this. It's not something that happens by chance. It's not something that uh, just is a uh, circumstance that just maybe they got better than we did. No, it says, I will do this. I'm going to raise them up and they will come in and they will destroy you. Uh, the God of hosts, the divine warrior king. He will employ here a foreign military force. We know that this is Assyria to oppress them. From their northmost point, 
which is Lebo Hamath, to the southernmost, which is the brook of Arabah. Saying that nothing's going to be missed. There's going to be nowhere for you to hide. It's going to be total devastation. And I am the one who will bring this. This entire northern kingdom will be destroyed. You know, I think it's very ironic here that one of their misplaced comforts, their power and their military is going to be what crumbles. It's going to be how will uh, the Lord will use to destroy them. He's like, you, you put so much trust and faith here. So I will take it. I will take it from you. He says, it will be the point of defeat. Brother and sister Christian, this is a warning to them and it is a warning to us. Is there misplaced comfort in your own life? Have you put something in place of God? You know, you run into to, to Netflix and to social media, to your, your favorite TV show, your, to maybe it's you're, you're running to pornography, you're running to, to work, maybe you're, you're, you're running to uh, accomplishment in school, your friends, maybe it's sex. What are you running to for your comfort? You misplaced. Your comfort in God for comfort in things of this world. Have you taken the gifts of God, the gifts of the giver, and exchanged them for the giver himself? Have you abused your authority? Have you become complacent in these areas in your life? started to just kind of sit in your sin, make excuses for it, surround yourselves with other people who make excuses for you, who will allow you to just continue to, to swim in sin. It's all right. It'll be okay. God still loves you. Like, he does, but he, if you're a believer, he has so much better for you. And if you continue to walk in sinfulness, you will prove toward the end that you may not have been a true believer indeed. Let us be a people who constantly ask God to reveal areas in our lives, to surround us with brothers and sisters who will spur us on as we run the race that has been set before us with endurance. That's the call to the Christian life. Let's take a moment here. If you have areas of 
sin maybe that the Lord has revealed to you. Areas of, uh, of misplaced comfort. And maybe you've seen something today. Maybe the Lord has revealed something in your own life and you say, God, I... Uh, maybe it's at a, at a three and you're, you, you just need to say, Lord, I, I don't want it to get to a ten. So, Lord, will you rid me of this today? Maybe you've never placed your faith in Christ. Talk to the Lord today. Scripture tells us that if we confess our sin, He will forgive us our sin. Take a moment here before the band comes and spend some time talking to the Lord, whatever he's revealed to you for just a few moments here. And I'll pray as the band makes their way forward. God, we thank you for Jesus Christ. Uh, we thank you that when we're confronted with our sin, we, we have a, a safe assurance and a place to run. So, Father, as we read earlier, help us to approach the throne of mercy with confidence through Christ and Christ alone. Never depending on our own strength, our own power. Help us to not abuse our authority, but help us to see the advantages we've been given as Christians and to then share the good news of Christ with others. Help us to give ourselves to others, but help us to most importantly find our comfort in you, and ask for your continual presence in our lives, revealing the things that are hard, that are tough, as we wait for our glorious hope, Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen.